Okay, so to be fair, I think that in our pre-recording, like our pre-recording powwow about what we we're going to talk about, uh, the idea of talking about the debate came up a few weeks ago prior to the first debate, like doing a little of the debate recap, um, the two debates actually. But it turns out that only of the three of us, only Richard did the reading, so to speak. <laughs> uh, in, in Adair's defense, he tried to watch the debate. Um, and he just wasn't able to because Hulu wasn't playing it. Uh, in my defense, I thought about watching the debate, then I decided not to because that would be a waste of time. So, like, my only experience with the debate is like through people live tweeting it via Twitter and me sort of like seeing like occasional tweets as I was doing literally anything else. So Legit. I guess so. Really, this is going to be Richard's debate recap while, I'll, while, while I just ask questions. So, Richard, uh, two debates about what a week and a half ago? Yeah, it's been a while, a little bit. Been it's, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, let, let do us a favor. Do a listener a favor. Do the discerning listener of the discourse a favor and like you know pick out a few key moments of the debate and like just just tell us you know i know i know you did, you did a whole debate recap show uh, mm-hmm. over on the uh, left poc podcast with wendy muse uh so you don't have to go into extreme detail if they want extreme detail they can go over there and listen to that shit uh shit as a general term for stuff not shit as a you know a statement of quality it's a good show i just you know you know, you know what i'm trying to say yeah so, i got you what, what happened at the debates. Gotcha. So, uh, again, yes, uh, left POC. There's a full recap. We had a Noah on with us, too, and she helped uh, provide some really insightful commentary. So I just want to make sure to mention that as well. Uh, but as far as the debates themselves, uh, they were about as impressive as, as expected, which was to say not at all. Uh, there was a couple decent moments, and I think people have kind of caught on through some of uh, the post-debate coverage if they've subjected themselves to that. Uh, the main, The first night was kind of underwhelming. Uh, it, the Democrats went out of their way to try to avoid the, the kind of kids table dynamic and ended up there anyway. Uh, Warren had a chance to stand out and perf- most people will say that she performed all right, has seen some po- uh, poll boost or boost since then. And, uh, but the first night wasn't really a lot there to, to comment on. There was the, the Spanish speaking, uh, was, was kind of a big point there, but it's, I've noticed, uh, some commentary since then has pointed out that it was largely received as pandering and didn't come off as like an organic response. Did that actually happen? Did, was there like really just a moment where everyone decided to like out Spanish each other? It, it, it was. And, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who got in before like Castro and it's like there's that awkward dynamic of Castro coming from uh you know of uh, heritage but then not have not speaking fluently and I did see a commentator on a uh, MSNBC I can't remember the name off the top of my head but did uh, actually randomly made an excellent point about how the there's a dynamic at play where you know being a polyglot or multilingual is uh, welcomed in white households but in a lot of uh households uh, of color with that are where English is a second language the parents go out of their way to avoid teaching uh the kid or allowing the kid to speak their native tongue and the kind of dynamics that applies to that with the larger uh white supremacy dynamic in the united states so that was one of the best pieces of commentary that i saw come out of what happened of that 
kind of mess of Hispanic speak or Spanish speaking. Maybe I'm just stupid not to interrupt again, but I'm just mm. stupid, but I don't really understand like what the, what the appeal, cause this is like, this is something that came out too when it came to, um, Pete Buttigieg who speaks like what, seven languages or some shit. Like mm-hmm. what the appeal other than like the fact that you paid attention during that weird, did they remember like those commercials that came on like 10 years ago for like that weird, like French language, uh, help, like help series of videos, like for like, um, Mosley. It was like, it was like a fucking like weird, poorly, crudely drawn, uh, fuzzy animal who would help you learn to speak French. Uh, uh shit, what, yes. I uh, don't I, have I the name. Mm-hmm. I can, I cannot remember the name of it. Uh, shit. Anyway, I don't really understand like what the appeal of being able to speak those languages like that. Well, let me rephrase that. I guess I understand the appeal is to sort of like index that you're worldly and that you're smart and intelligent. But like, what does that actually matter if your foreign policy is just shit, though? Right. Like, I mean, like, ideally, you would want to be able to speak all those languages to infer or imply or assert whatever that you have some kind of unique insight into the cultures that speak those languages you know spanish with you know latin america chinese and china uh etc and so that you'd be like, you're the best person to like engage with those countries because like not only do you speak the language you know metaphor i mean literally but metaphorically you are in you you have some sort of empathy for those places none of those motherfuckers care about latin america like if anything i would say like speaking spanish like during a debate when like we have literal like children like from latin america from countries we destabilized in fucking like camps detention camps concentration camps you know the the jury's out i guess still uh like that's kind of offensive to be like okay like but which one of you is gonna close these camps down and prosecute ice like none of you okay then i don't know uh then i guess you're just like just doing this to show that you can order at chipotle real well like what the fuck yeah no i mean it, it is basically what it amounted to and i think one of the, the main driver was that it was also being simulcast on telemundo and so for the telemundo and uh and the nbc the spanish affiliates and such they wanted to or they wanted to be able to give them nice little clips that they could put on to their nightly news shows to get attention because uh while they mo- they knew they were probably going to get ignored in western media largely and, and split up over the many candidates uh in as far as uh, when it came to the spanish-speaking media it was a better shot at getting some some attention if uh, you gave them a something that they could play in spanish so i think that was probably the main main appeal like what they were thinking from a very practical point of view and then like hoping that maybe it would get them some headlines in national news but uh it wasn't it didn't receive get received the way it, i think i guess i mean like, a, like i guess those i guess those uh those assholes made the duolingo owl happy happy but but for the rest of us you know it just seems like stupid ass pandering they sound like fucking ben stiller's character in dodgeball it's like you know what are you going to do about uh the the fucking immigrant crisis in america donde esta la biblioteca (laughs) (laughs) about sums it up yes ah of course Uh, the biblioteca i mean uh, uh castro did at one point advocate for what he called a, a Marshall plan for Central America. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical that, that it looks like, like the Marshall plan of Europe and more like uh, previous planning that we've done in Central America where we like, where we decide which leaders and rulers we want to back and then go ahead and get rid of the ones we don't. 
Well, I mean, the Marshall Plan of Europe was you not to be cynical was also the way to prevent the spread of communism post World War II. So I guess it, there know, is that overlap. Like, there is that overlap with it. Uh, okay, so yeah, so I mean, from the what I've heard about the debate, at least the first night, like people chose their winners and losers. Not to like excuse myself for not doing the homework for this episode, uh, insofar that I assigned the homework and I didn't do it, but like I didn't see the point insofar as that there was like. 25 people not really debating so much as it was just like trying to score really quick cheap shots for sound bites that would look good the next day right and it says like 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 how much like how productive a conversation between 12 people who largely don't really disagree with each other about the basics of society can be is kind of this debatable but you know ultimately speaking I'm of the opinion that most Americans are like me. <laughs> this is like me again making excuses. <laughs> like me, like didn't watch the debate. Can only remember about five people who are running right now. Like Biden, Warren, Harris, and maybe not Harris or Warren, but Biden, Bernie, uh, and maybe three other people, depending on what part of the country they're from. I would hazard probably Warren, Harris, and like a, a you know choose your own adventure for the the, the fifth one. Maybe mm-hmm. you're a Buddha geek. Maybe you're a Buddha geek, bro. Maybe you're you know you're still riding the Beto Express. Maybe you're a Julian Castro fan. So like the idea of watching the other twelve people try to increase their fucking uh you know speaking fees for wall street over the next eight years just didn't really appeal yeah but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm open i'm open to you know who, like, i'm open for you, you to tell me that there was a breakout star of the first and second night uh yang was gonna break out but apparently they cut his mic i guess is is the story that went out and so like uh there were some issues and from what i've been able to tell from my random viewing of uh the post debate clips there was some issue audio issues going on there whether it was intentional or just part of the the botched production that was the first debate night in general not not clear but uh he he did not he did not uh make the kind of breakout performance he was probably hoping for and i think a lot of his supporters were and uh just i i don't see anybody from the first night going very like going anywhere except for warren which narrows it like you mentioned to about five candidates which uh, the other four or the rest being on debate night two where there was a little bit of fireworks uh, mainly between biden and harris which i'm sure some people have heard about but uh it, it takes an interesting dynamic of the the basically pitting the newer generation uh, of democrats versus the older generation of democrats Democrats, this is <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this is still this is not the progressive neither of them being in the progressive wing this is just like old cop versus new cop is a great way to sum it up <laughs> and uh biden got uh grilled for uh working with segregationists and one of my favorite lines came from the ap where they said that uh, they erroneously air- reported that vice president uh, Joe Biden worked with Republican segregationist senators. In fact, the senators were Democrats. Just to rem- like, so it's not about being bipartisan or working across the aisle. It's about uh, agreeing with people who want to segregate and oppress people. <laughs> that's that. That's what it was that that Biden was able to do in his history of uh, electoral dynamic. Oh, go ahead. So I've actually heard a lot about the second night. And I guess 
I hate to pat ourselves on the back too hard, but we were totally right about our initial assessment of Kamala Harris insofar as that like she defies you to fucking like Google her. It's like, <laughs> she like she has, I think more than any other candidate in this race, has weaponized the fact that people will not Google you. Like the majority of Americans A will only watch the debate or watch the recap of the debate and won't like follow up with anything said. To the point where, what was it? She's like she, she what? Yeah, she like she hammered Biden for like being against busing. And I will say this, you know, Joe Biden is a low hanging fruit, and I think his, you know, his addition or rather his existence in this race has made it very easy for a lot of people to pretend like they're more progressive than he is. Simply, which I guess is not hard to be, simply by like pointing out that he was basically fucking a Goldwater girl and fucking t- like in the 1970s. It's like Joe Biden was racist by 70s and 90s standards. Like he's not. It's not like when you go back and like watch 2000 movies from 2003 and you're like, oh shit, like like you know. Joanna man was problematic like yeah okay yeah like things are, like, this is like Joe Biden was like if the movie to you know the fucking uh uh was it birth of a nation came out in 1997 it's like he, he's like he was you know racist by those time by those standards as well so like Kamala Harris comes out and like hammers Biden for being for being like anti specifically being like anti busing legislation and like sort of like you know petty fogging around the fact that okay well I was against the legislation but actual you know uh, programs uh, or rather it should it should have been up to like schools and whatever to like make like sorry, uh, voluntarily opt into those programs you know hammers him for that only to come out like the next day and be like actually. I'm also against, uh, you know, forced integration busing by the government. And I think that I, I agree or rather I think that, you know, it should be voluntary. Yeah. And and just to carry like not to switch topics too much, but just to carry on the point of her changing her story or whatever. She raised her hand for the the healthcare question and then it's like, oh, well, uh, I was confused. And so actually, no, I don't want to get rid of private insurance. <laughs> it's just like it's astonishing just how easily and how rapidly she'll walk something back or completely oppose what she just said. And like you said, just to score points and banking on the fact that uh, a large portion of people just won't do the research and. And the, she knows that the corporate media isn't going to hold her accountable. Look at the stuff we know about Kamala Harris, right? She's the type, at least from what I've gathered based on her politics, right? Like how she's been running, what she's been going on, the fact that she was the flavor of the month and now that she's coming back. Like they put, they they, they gave her a softball and they put her on stage with Joe Biden because Joe Biden is infinitely easy just to dunk on. The problem is Kamala Harris is just as bad. Like she calls herself and, you know, in her own words, she was the top cop of California and all this other shit. Yet she goes around and tries to bandy about like, oh, I'm some kind of progressive hero. But, you know, again, it's been said she really does bank on the fact that people are not going to, you know, they're just they're not going to Google her. They're like, well, she said this. And so I'm going to take her out of word. You know, her post debate bump, I think, while surprising overall right like i'm surprised that she had a post a post debate bump i would like to see how well she does in the coming months because the reality is once we get to smaller debate scenes once we get to not having that many people up there she can't go back and forth as much as she would like to you know i think chad is right most people in america do not watch the debates i tried to thankfully who wasn't gonna let me so i just let it go but it's like, I mean, once you get up to a smaller debate stage, once you get down to like actually having like three, four, five candidates really running and you can put everybody on the same stage on the same night, 
And and at that point, would it make sense for the front runner to actually go out and try to hammer people? In this case, I want you know point out the fact that Bernie Sanders didn't really go out and hammer anybody. Like he kind of just stayed back and stayed in his lane and stuck to his talking points. That's exactly what you expect a front runner to do. That's exactly what you tell a front runner. Hey, this is what you should be doing. You should not be going out and trying to, you know, get these home runs. Kamala Harris is a back of the pack candidate. So she did exactly what a back of the pack candidate should have did. So overall, I think it's a little asinine how, you know, just how hype people are about how quote unquote. I mean, and also well, like, to be perfectly it. frank, it's it's kind of a matter of perception too. Like like everyone has their favorites, and everyone like uses a bunch of coded language to say, "Oh, this person overperformed, this person underperformed, this person you know performed as what you you know the post debate bump." But at the same time, it's like I hate to be you know sound vaguely anti scientific, but there are like twenty seven thousand polls that come out every day from like twenty seven thousand different polling companies. And they, they, they're all conducted differently on different populations through different methods. And pretty much all of them like have different results. On some of them, Joe Biden is like 27 points ahead. Some of them have Bernie in second. Some of them have Bernie in, in fifth. Some of them have fucking Pete Buttigieg in first. And like, it's not as though the polls are... I can't, you know, it is, they are accurate or rather, you know, I don't know how you express this in a way that, that sounds like that, that's legible to most people. It's that... The existence of so many polls is is counterintuitive to or counterproductive to actually understand what's happening in all these races. And so, like these post debate bumps, these posts, you know, like overperforming, underperforming. I don't necessarily necessarily know how much that is reliable information to go on until we have a more narrow field. It's two birds with one stone by having lots of people welcomed in and having having these debates. They're like, oh, see, we're not trying to rig the process. It's it's we're letting even these people that have no chance be in the debates when really the whole point is to diffuse the message and to kind of to dissuade people from paying attention and juxtaposing what the actual uh, debate is within the Democratic Party between the progressive wing and the centrist and then the, the right wing really it's like and the progressives are barely hanging into the party as it How is so it, it's though? uh it's really just the centrist uh democrats versus the right democrat versus the you know uh basically republicans with d's next to their name but what Warren, warren's appeal is the the she fills the people that believe in capitalism have enjoyed have built a life that's dependent and comfortable based on capitalism but they recognize that it's also exploiting the shit out of people and they want something to alleviate the pressure on their conscience Warren fills that gap, says that we can save capitalism, just make it better with some reforms that we've all known we needed for decades and we've never gotten because, you know, we know what happens. Corporations fight. And even to the point of where, you know, you like unions were busted literally with, uh, you know, heads getting knocked. And so it's like we know what these problems are and why they haven't been fixed. And it's not a matter of just not recognizing that capitalism has flaws. That's not the issue. Again. I, we look at we look at her housing policy, right? Like her housing proposal, and it was blown the fuck up by the very people she's trying to convince. So she's not doing a good job. Like, I guess again, you. So there was somebody who on Twitter who was talking about it, who said my rent has gone up by like fifteen hundred dollars every year. No, excuse me, five hundred dollars a year. Over three years, that's fifteen. That's fifteen hundred dollars. Over ten years, that's like you know, that's five grand. You're gonna save me five hundred dollars off five grand. That's like, what does, what does that do for anybody? How does she, she, it's just dumb. It's insulting to think that regular everyday people are going to hear 1% a year on rent and be excited. People can't afford 
housing making $15 an hour, even here in Washington State, right? You live in rural Washington State. You make $15 an hour. You're bringing home a little over two grand a month. Most housing starts at $900 for a one-bedroom apartment. Most housing in rural Washington State will run you $900 for a one-bedroom and if you're making $15 an hour, it's just not sustainable. Like, you just can't do it. So none of our See, policies... Derek, you're just trying to do all those fancy things, like, you know, have a refrigerator and television. Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. Guess, 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 guess someone is trying to live high on the hog while, while poor. Haven't you ever... Haven't you, maybe if you had ma- ma- majored in the STEM fields a day. Oh, wait, you did. <laughs> no, but like... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's like I like. I think some of Warren's plans are all right. Point blank, I think that some of Warren's plans are like fine, like you know, B minus plans. But like she, best of a bad she'd bunch. Be a good treasury as, secretary, you know. Yeah, she. She's definitely definitely best of a bad bunch, but at the same time, it's just like her, like her appeal is a technocratic appeal and a a very, very uh, liberal appeal. And by that, I mean, it's like she is her plans. Like we talked about this before about the idea of like policy, big P, like the symbolic, you know, policy, what it means symbolically, I think the way to index the intelligence and authority of your position, you know, and your ability to like game the system and work the bureaucracy and all those, like those cute things that liberals like because they love institutions. But like, you know, like her plans and people loving them has a lot to do with them. Like, again, substituting the tools for the goals. Like, from my perspective, policy is only as it's only as good as like its ability to solve problems. Right? It's just like if you have a very complex, multi-tiered policy system that does not solve the problem, it's useless. You know, versus like. A very, you know, a one-page policy, and this is not an anti-intellectual statement. This is more like a versus like a one-page, one-step uh, policy. Like, hey, we pro- we we make you know, like we abolish private health care and we like we fund you know single we, we fund universal health care via taxes that's one page that's, that's you know that's two steps i mean obviously there are multiple steps to like you know there are they're like there are multiple layers to that but it's, a, it's it's simple like it may be difficult but it's simple right where where you know where a lot of people have like these complex plans that don't actually solve anything but that's a value of technocracy and it's like it becomes a very weird situation where people like people have substituted the tools for the goals right people have said okay well really the 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 tools of social justice policy language uh etc are really the most important part whether or not they actually solve shit is completely it's completely unreasonable i mean it's completely irrelevant but as long as we are mobilizing the tools the best to the best of our abilities that's great at the same time though i'll say you know we are in the middle of as Richard alluded to, a battle for the soul of not only the Democratic Party, because like who cares about those bitches? I mean, <laughs> who cares about those uh, assholes? Um, but like the soul of like leftism, you know, the soul of like the left and, and the institutional left. I would say like globally speaking, right? We have this rise of neo-fascism. We have this rise. You know, all across Europe, all across developing nations, India, China, Japan, etc. And a lot of that has been facilitated by like either the erasure of leftist political parties in countries that have, you know, parliamentary systems or the co-option of like far left political parties into center left parties for a variety of reasons that has only led to like the again, the strengthening of the far right in the absence of, you know, far left criticism about society and its structures. That being so, you know, you have right now within the Democratic Party this entire, like, you know, 
this battle for the soul of it, right? You know, do we want uh, the top cop in Harris? Do we want to just try to go back to the way things were in the 90s with Biden? Do we want to like, do we want to like give liberalism, quote unquote, like a real honest college try uh, in Warren in terms of like, hey, do we want to go back to FDR liberalism explicitly? This is what FDR would have done, right? Or do we want to, you know, start moving to like the, the left, right? You know, uh, how far left Bernie is, is debatable. He's not that far left. I guess it's not debatable. I just said it. But like, you know, do we want to start moving in that direction, at least when it comes to structural solutions? You know, and if you read if you actually read his policies, they don't even when it comes to like social programs, we want to start moving to the far moving further left. Uh, And just, you know, I guess the book in the the, the discussion and that sort of like clumsily pivot it's like i'm bored as fuck too you know like the me- people in the media are bored it's like how do you think i feel I-, I get paid much less than they do talk about shit but the difference between like us and them is like i don't have to pretend this shit is new it's yeah like, we're, we're not they, friends like, with these people either so like we're not like, trying yeah, to get invited to their cocktail parties it's like i don't have to pretend like this stuff is new like i don't have to pretend like we're having these conversations for the first time and i think that's that's the, the other part of this you know that is you know that's taboo where we have to pretend like we're doing this like every day we have to wake up brand new and pretend like this is the first time it's happening like and that's a big part of like pundit culture like oh this is the first time this shit is happening it's like no honestly we're gonna start talking about like the the you know far left violence again and two years ago or rather i guess a year no 18 months whatever long we've been doing this fucking show or some incarnation of the show we were talking about far left violence in the aftermath of richard spencer getting punched and we're gonna have the exact same conversation today no we're not the same conversation because our, our our or rather my ideas have evolved on the on the issue but like it's the same thing and nothing has changed in the media about how we talk about it but everyone wants to pretend like it's a new conversation or at least not not acknowledge that this conversation has been going on for the past like two years and it hasn't and like it's it's sophistication hasn't evolved in any real way it's the same shit quickly before we pa- uh, go, yeah, go uh, before Finish we it. leave the debates i just wanted to mention and i think it kind of parallels or uh, it parries into it as well is that with one thing the most important thing I think that got said on the debate stage of either night was from Bernie. And he said that like basically all these policy ideas, whether they be Warren or Biden or whatever, you know, they might sound nice to you is like, but the reality is we're not going to get any of this done without millions of people taking to the streets and demanding it. Like that's the only, like he, he, the, the reiteration of the point that the system is broken and that you're not, they're not going to play nice. You're not going to, you know, defeat corporations on the battlefield of ideas. Uh, and if it comes down to it, they will hire people to beat you with clubs to make you change your mind. This, that's what we're up against. And it is like none of the other candidates on that stage are willing or able to confront that battle. And so like, that's for me, what makes Bernie the only viable candidate that I, that I could see voting for is because the only person that's going to tell America, tell people in the United States that if you want anything to change, if you want to maybe, you know, reduce the, the catastrophe that we have coming with climate change, if you want to, you know, do something about the concentration camps on the border, if you want to do something about police uh, murdering and oppressing uh, people of color. If you want to do, if you want any of that to change, it doesn't matter how nice the policy is or how nice it sounds. What you need is millions of people in the streets demanding it, direct action, and the kind of engagement and involvement that's not sitting at home watching a debate uh, and calling that political engagement, but actually getting out in the street and demanding 
things change and not allowing them to continue as they are. Yeah, but basically, like, if, like, you know, if he's so if he's so willing to if he understands so comprehensively the need to problemize problematize the like the underlying logic that is neoliberalism and capitalism, then like he also needs to take the time to actually problematize the underlying logic that is neoconservatism. And he doesn't necessarily do that so much as he disagrees with his prescriptions sometimes where like, you know, where the actual like you know need to step up stand up for maduro in a way that is comprehensive and not just like maduro's a dictator but again like a lot of stuff is older now and like you know he has been moving further to the left on a lot you know on syria on you know on venezuela you know not as far as we need him to be but like he's doing better which i guess is all you know it's better than a lot of other people of course but like he's still not there but we we have time of course and again you know his willingness to uh, platform and at least give lip service to the need for a mass movement is something that none of the other candidates are really doing. It's like, the, you know, even though they might have similar programs to his, you know, more or less within one the standard deviation, like, like his willingness to like actually emphasize the need for mass movement politics is exceptional in that sense. And it's exactly what we need. At the same time, like at the same time, I will say like there was one breakout star. I, I did like Marion Wilson from what I've heard. I hate I hate to say it. Like she is <laughs> No, yeah. like a Marion like she's like she's like an anti vaxxer and people are mad that she's an anti vaxxer and that she's like kind of like you know, has weird like she's not kind of is weirdly ableist, which you can acknowledge, but like, she's also not gonna win. Right. Like she's like she's she's never gonna win. Like but and like and so, you know, her orb life, you know, her orb gang shit is kind of funny. Uh at the same time, I, I'm I'm forced to acknowledge or like point out that like Marianne Wilson with her like anti-vax, her like legitimately anti-vax uh sentiments and like her legitimate like weird moon moon sister shit, like is exactly who everyone pretended Jill Stein was. Exactly. And, like and Jill Stein wasn't is not anywhere nearly as close to Marion Wilson. Is she a grifter? People say that to me, like Jill Stein's a grifter. I'm like they're like, all politicians are grifters. I was like that's I, I literally I, like, how I they know. make their living is lying to people from like that's that's just what they do. Yeah, I like, think I don't understand like the the critiques of Jill Stein that I hear usually tend to revolve around like her being a grifter her mismanaging money her like doing all the like you know the democrat the green party not being a legitimate party and like them needing to like step up their game and i'm like really like if we're just talking abstractly about legitimacy it's like the green party's platform is no more like is no dumber or like less legitimate than the democratic party's platform their candidates are no or no more grifters than the democratic party's candidates are grifters they're probably less grifters considering how much money just goes just exchanges hands between consultants democratic party like what the, what they they don't have is the air legitimacy granted by like so much power like if jill like jill Stein, like marion wilson is a much less legitimate candidate than jill stein is yet people are not afraid to like stand her because she's funny but like a lot of people were very afraid to like stand jill stein because it might have set a bad precedent but i'm like just like you know honestly the, the green party's platform was better is still better than like the democratic party's platform from 2016 like you might disagree again with the mechanisms but and if you know from a certain from a certain standpoint i'm forced to say that that's just semantics it's like disagreeing with the mechanisms by which they wanted to get things done is semantics but like jill stein is an actual like anti-imperialist candidate you know and that like that means a lot in a fucking 2009 at 2000 and fucking 19 
Yeah, and she had the 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 wisdom or whatever to pair up with Ajamu, uh, who is definitely oh, yeah. Aj- legit. Like so, like, Ajamu honestly should have been the should have been yes. the, uh, the the presidential. I think we can all stand. Like you know, Ajamu yeah. is a way more legitimate candidate than basically you know in terms of like actual pedigree and like thoughtfulness and like uh, knowledge of American history domestically and abroad than like pretty much every Democrat candidate running right now, especially, to, and also in 2016, and mm-hmm. definitely Republican candidates, but, like, it's helpful to pretend like Jill Stein and Ajama Barack and the Green Party are, like, somehow uniquely incompetent then, like, when it's really, they just lack the inertia to disguise their incompetence. The Democratic Party, like, fucking bungled a $2 billion campaign. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's like like they like it's it's only it's only like it's only for the fact that they have such a long history of fucking up that that they they're they're allowed to keep fucking up without people actually saying oh this party is not a legitimate party because they're basically just like a way to funnel money to various the various large failed sons and daughters of various like connected elites which is like honestly what I'll be be frank like twenty of these candidates seem as though like their entire like candidacy or like running for government like running for like president is just like a job program for like fucking stupid consultants like like Mm -hmm. like, like that's what this feels like it's like yeah they're trying to raise their fucking fundraising list they're trying to raise their national profile but it also feels like they got like some consultant in their ear who's like yeah you should run for president uh like you like you have a chance you know you like you can you can definitely uh get on the national stage and like you know definitely sort of raise your profile well, it's in like, rally. oh, good. I was just gonna no. say, it's the with the journalists, you know, aspect of it, like with journalism and the the fluff jobs and journalism falling away, is like that's where a lot of you know rich kids ended up going was to go work at some newspaper somewhere that you know was owned by somebody that their parents knew or whatever, and it's like with uh, the jobs cutting down on that, uh, political consulting is a great place where the the essentially by having. Uh, certain associations or knowing certain people, you can be considered a, a valued commodity in that field. And then without av- having any substantive value to add to a campaign and and or you have connections in the media or whatever. So then the they're see- you're seen as an opportunity to help get a story out and make communication channels that way. And so it's it, like you said, it's a very much like a jobs program for a network of people of, uh, you know, bourgeoisie like uh, class people that are just the essentially the the media class in general it's, is it's kind of shifting towards yeah exactly it's it's this it's relationship that we saw a lot of in uh, Hillary's emails I think uh, some of the older generation it's like now there's a new generation coming up and with the internet and with the lack of uh, you know actual qualifications it's becoming much more apparent what's going on it was a lot easier to hide the nepotism and the you know the flagrant uh, like corruption behind uh, all the kind of process and and uh, pomp or and circum or the, all the kind of like pageantry that you see around uh, the electoral process. Uh, whereas now, with a lot of that pageantry being stripped away by at least some segments of the voting public, uh, I think you're seeing a lot of of that being exposed and that these people are they're just talking about their friends and their peers and they're it's just kind of a a conversational thing about 
people that they regularly associate with and kind of, you know, this is what our other friends are saying about this friend. It's, it's people reporting on their lives and pretending as though there's some objective truth to be gleaned or some objective insights to be gleaned from their lives. Mm-hmm. And like, it may, it may be incredibly apparent when people like Brett Stevens or like David Brooks write some dumbass article about how poor people don't know how to eat sandwiches or some shit. But like the majority of the insights these people are writing about, even at the lower levels, are like are things that they glean from some like you know, if not elite multi-million dollar fundraiser, some house party they went to or some bar they went to like in, well, let's be honest, Brooklyn. I feel awkward saying it because I, I live here too, but like some, you know, but like some house party went to in Brooklyn where like everyone is within like their, like within their circle of acquaintanceship. And like, that's just sampling bias. And we can talk about like the problems with all of the polls that people are reading right now, you know, but we'd have to like sort of unpack like the sampling bias that goes into those, whether they're only conducted via phone, which we know, or via landline, which we know like younger people don't have landlines whether whether they actually uh do their due diligence to put everybody on the fucking pole <laughs> yes south carolina <laughs> um, is not a proxy for all black people yeah, in the country yeah like, like, well, like whether like whether they do any like whenever they make just like either gross gross sort of sampling errors or whether they just like, have like you know a weird way of asking questions that like skews the results uh like that's something we could unpack but really it's just like the media is also creating this weird sort of sampling bias where they like which you would have imagine they would have learned from in 2016 because i recall quite vividly like there being like a day of two amongst a few people of like reckoning where people who have been writing like there's no way trump can win there's no way trump can win there's no way trump can win for like three or four weeks was like we're forced to go like okay can you account for why you kept saying this and it was like well I asked all my friends and family and no one I knew was voting for Trump. So I just assumed, but, you know, and then I picked one or two polls that spoke to that and decided that I was correct. And it's like, oh, that's fucked up and stupid in hindsight. But now we're doing it again. So like no one really learned anything. We're back to where we started. Yeah. But and they're all I getting do paid think, more than they were last time. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if, if no one got, was held accountable for Iraq and no one's going to be held accountable for like burying, you know, Jeffrey Epstein stories, it's like no one's going to be held accountable for just getting it wrong. And I mean, I think it's like taboo to be like, you know, like should someone in the media lose their job you know as a columnist because they got like a prediction wrong you know when a even polling and statistics is not like it's not you know no shade to marion wilson it's not you know suit saying you know like it's not it's not it's not a crystal ball like there is you know there is uh um you know degrees of error there is like there is stuff like that but at the same time it's like you know we never really sat down to like parse out in any meaningful way why people were getting it wrong and how we could like put sort of how we could put stuff in place to make sure that it didn't happen the same way again right there was no real like autopsy of the media like there may have been an autopsy well there was no real autopsy of the democratic party either but there, like there may have needed to be an autopsy of the democratic party but there was certainly not an autopsy of our media culture in any real way and if anything we're like we've just done the same things all over again and you know unfortunately i'll just uh, be maybe i'll be a little shady it's like unionizing the media well except for maybe the onion because that they fucking went balls they went crazy in the meantime they were doing yeah. some great work there but like mm-hmm. unionizing the media won't really solve the problems right they won't really solve this problem it's like like that's like that's a that's a necessary step you know basically all industries should be unionized but like that doesn't actually solve the problem of like the media having significant like uh I, I, having a significant uh, skew towards like middle class, upper middle class elites by nature of how you get media jobs. But we should we should transition to talk about like punching Nazis because like it, it happened again when like the like uh, the um, the columnist from Wonket got got 
uh, beat up at a rally in Seattle. Portland. I feel, I feel like no, I feel like no part of that was correct. <laughs> I feel like I feel like no, no. Okay, so here's so here, yeah, so here's the thing, right? right. I, I know I've been making a lot of excuses today for like why I I don't know what the fuck is going on in the world, but like this is in, I have an even better excuse for why I don't know what happened. It, it doesn't really matter, right? I think like, insofar as like the greater implications for what happened in like terms of like leftist violence, there is no epidemic of leftist violence. So we could have like a long conversation about like whether punching Nazis is a good idea in terms of like quote unquote praxis. Does it like, does it solve our rising far right? You know, does it, does it rise our, does it solve our rising issue with the rise of neo-fascism in America? It's like, I don't know. Right. Because like, you know, historically speaking, street fighting has worked in some situations that has not worked in some situations. And the reason why it hasn't worked in some situations and has worked in some situations are historical particular are historically particular. It kind of worked in the UK, you know, in the past 20 years or so. Uh, it didn't necessarily work in Germany during the rise of the Nazis. Uh, why that is, you know, would require a whole different podcast. But like, but, you know, is it working now? Kind of, but it's not really happening either. And I think that's the kind of element to this that people don't really, you know, aren't really willing to grapple with this like there is no epidemic of leftist violence in the streets like like like, like antifa is not prowling around punching people like left and right there there aren't even that many like uh antifa assaults that are happening you know honestly this is this might be tilting my hands and i'm trying to keep this whole abstract and, and beautiful but like i kind of wish antifa was as big of a threat to the nazis in terms of physical violence as people pretend like they are but it's not it's simply not happening and I was reading an article actually about something similar to this earlier today. We were talking about the quote unquote epidemic of police uh, violence against police, right? The epidemic of police murders. But apparently somebody at ABC wrote an article and cited their in-house expert saying there's been a trend, an upward trend in police in felonious police murders while they were on this while they were on the job. And their expert then they're like so impressed. The expert was like, "Well, I've got most of this information from briefings, and I don't know if it's all public." And did it like basically just a whole bunch of bullshit because there's no actual trend. Like there's there's just not there's not a trend that says police officers are getting murdered more on duty. In fact, I think it was 2015 and 2017 were two of the safest years ever on record for police, and so. It's not the case. And but then when it so when it didn't happen, right? When there was no when in those years, what the police what the you know Blue Lives Matter group leader said, he came out and said, Well, you're not seeing as many police being shot because police are afraid of interacting. And so they're like, Well, if I just don't make this traffic stop, then I don't get shot. And that's why you're not seeing it. But because of that, I mean that that like that right there is is evidence of a war on police. And then when there and I think there have been like uh, something like eight or nine felonious murders of police officers while on duty this year, where they're like, well, see, now there's been eight or nine of them in this whole year so far. So that means, right, that there's a war on cops. It's one of those logical fallacies where if there's no evidence, then like the lack of evidence of it being there is evidence for the thing. And actual, any, any evidence that could possibly can be construed, not even actual evidence, right, also proves that it's true. And that's the same thing with leftist quote unquote violence here. Right wing groups are saying, well, it's happening. But when they when it doesn't happen, their excuse is, well, it's just because, you know, we showed up at this particular time and this particular day and the moon was in the fourth house of Capricorn. So they didn't come out and attack us. 
or when there is an assault, like not even an assault, when somebody rightfully gets their ass beat, like whatever this dude, Andy, whatever his, uh, his name is, you know, he got milkshaked and he got kicked once in the face. Oh my God, so, so violent. When these are, when their allies are literally showing up to people's houses, that they clear people's houses with guns and in full body armor and doing what they call house calls. Like when there's police actively in their ranks, when Customs and Border Patrol just got caught, you know, with that huge thing about their massive uh, secret Facebook group and all the racist bullshit that was going on there, all the fascist shit that was happening there, right? These people are afraid of getting their asses beat. And so they use, they make up violence to justify their own violence because it's just not there. It should be. They should be getting their asses beat. They should get the fucking brakes beat off them everywhere they go. The moment they leave the house, they should get their ass beat, period. It's just not happening, but they have to come up with something to justify why it's okay for them to continue enacting just untold amounts of violence on innocent citizens. And even not innocent citizens, right? Nobody deserves a death sentence for stealing something or anything. This was a grift, right? Andy, whatever his name is, uh, writer at Wonkette, like literally went to this, like went to this particular event in order to get his ass beat, right? Like, you know, like he, like he talked shit online about how he was going to get his ass beat, provoked people online about who's going to get his ass beat. And like, I don't, like, I'm not of the opinion that like, well, I was raised in Brooklyn. Some of the opinions, you know, if, if you play, if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. But like, generally speaking, I'm not of the opinion you should escalate things to physical violence. I, if I follow the Power Rangers rule of physical engagement, like you shouldn't escalate things to physical and violence, physical violence, unless the person is going to do that. Right. You know, I do believe that self-defense can be done in, in you know, in, in self-defense of someone else. Uh, I do believe that, you know, there is a certain, you know, there's a certain level everyone has before, like, you know, hey. Like we're talking is done now, right? You know, like now, now we're done talking. Uh, but like, it's frustrating because like the people out there on the, maybe this is like a specious connection to make, but you guys will tell me if it is like the people who are out there, like saying we need to have a national conversation about violence in the wake of like this dude getting his, this dude getting punched in the face and like getting a milkshake thrown on him again, which the, the police would, the police were spreading false information that these milkshakes were filled with like quick, 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 uh, drying concrete, which they weren't, uh, like basically like, uh, some, like some, like most likely proud boy account or whatever, some, or analogous group like sent of like sent a fake email to the police saying that the, that they were antifa and that they were they were just telling they were no as we all know uh when you're about to engage in crimes you always send an email to the police to detail those crimes uh prior to it um but yeah so like it's it's weird because these like maybe not this person specifically although he has been known to like laugh at people like laugh at you know right-wing violence on left-wing activists but like this is like the same population of people that he belongs to who like insist that like the left is full of people who are looking to be victimized and like they're like they're looking to be offended they're like they're looking like they have a victim mentality like they like they want to be the victim of hate crime they like you know when it comes to women who get assaulted you know you know essentially at actual epidemic levels uh like they're like they're all asking Asking for it just by existing but this dude like my, my like my dude right here literally asked to get assaulted more or less online went to a place where assault was likely like literally like traveled to a place outside of where he lived like that like where violence was a violence was not no let's not say probable but like the, the potentiality for violence existed provoked people at that place who knew who he was in order to get assaulted in 
and then was assaulted and now wants to have like a national conversation about violence when the dude was literally asking for it right but like in in other situations for other groups who can't like index the power that is like the far right astroturf media apparatus it's like when they get assaulted or when they become victims of interpersonal crimes that they they're like they're always asking for it like you know just just by existing it's it's just by existing in america you you can be asking for it but but like when you when you're literally a far right you know a provocateur with the word they use for fucking like for fucking racist for fucking online racist provocateur like you're like you're like you're never asking for it like you're always you're always operating in good faith and like and that, that, that that's like one of the frustrating parts about it because it's like we have pretended there is this epidemic of left-wing violence when we are literally in the midst of an epidemic of far-right violence. And that's why I can't really even be bothered to like show fake concern over like far-left violence because I know that within like one week or so, like not only will there be a hate crime operated by a fucking white, a white, uh, rather a hate crime or terrorist attack operated by like a white, you know, perpetrated by a white supremacist terrorist or someone who has like white supremacist sensibilities, which probably has already happened, you know, either before, before we record this or like right after it comes out, it will have happened. But we'll also see like a mass shooting by a white supremacist. And the media, the media will either erase the fact that it's a white supremacist, like they will erase all political motivations and ideology from the attack, or we'll like we'll just no longer be allowed to talk about political violence at all. Uh, absolutely, and uh, like just a bit about the, the whatever guy that got attacked, the Andy guy, is like I mean he's part of and he's basically promotes Proud Boys, which is like essentially goes, it's a gang. Yeah, it's a, gang. it's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a <laughs> it's a literal gang. It's like it's a it's a it's so much a gang that the uh, that the leader of the Proud Boys was on the Joe Rogan experience or whatever it's called. Although I would say the only proper way to experience Joe Rogan is with a fucking like with a uh, a fifth of vodka in your system. Um, he went on the show, detailed how it's a gang to the point where Joe Rogan had to go like, dude, you can't say that on my show because that's like a gang. And that's a, that's a legal. <laughs> like, so like, and, like, and then a few months later, like, not only after it, it, it detailing how it's a gang and then like having members of his gang assault somebody in New York on video, he was being profiled by the New York Times as like a right wing provocateur. Mm hmm. And so it, it, it's an excellent point about the, the class elements at play as well as the race elements at play. And it's uh, it's uh, like I'm just looking over. There's a Vox article about it and just the, you know, oh, well, you know, with the un- unacceptable violence. And, and I mean, it does make your, your point about like he goes there to become a martyr for his cause in, in some ways by granting by by assaulting him. They grant him that. But it, it's also I think you raise a point about like for me, the what I think of is you know it's like people used to drop m-bombs and all sorts of racist rhetoric in in public regardless of who they were around thinking that they were going to get away with it and basically what happened was it wasn't that there was a law written that said you can't you can't call black people x y or z it was black people just and other people just started punching people in the face and then if and when the police showed up nobody saw anything that that's how these things get resolved like <laughs> it's so hard to it's so hard to like satisfy the fact that when people come to you online they're like how can you be advocating against violence against not like well first of all it's not really happening but like okay whatever like it's literally statistically not happening but like like how do you actually 
it, it's just it, it's it's false consciousness to the point of being delusional where like you can like look at a black person online a leftist black person online where they have been literal like targeted fucking like fbi and cia programs to assassinate left black leftists like like in the past it can go like well how would you feel if if, if like if you were like if groups made you the target of violence I'm like what are you talking about it's like are you serious it's like like, like come on it's like like it's like, and like, and like, like they, they really just do not see it and it goes like oh wow you do not see it but even broad but even sort of more i guess not problematic but i guess even more problematic is that you get these people who like or rather when you engage with these people you understand that like you you rather you learn to understand that their understanding of like how political change happens is so radically disconnected from like how like how political change actually happens that like they they have constructed this weird v history of political change which I, I think it must be the way we teach history where like change occurs due to like it's never like mass movement politics like mass movement politics and fucking like material mass movement politics material sanctions and like the potentiality for violence not even if necessarily violence itself has been erased from like i would say mainstream retellings of how political changes happened in our country whereas like you talk to people online and like this this I, I i had this conversation with somebody as a re, as a related to like the um the picture that was going around of like the dead people crossing the rio grande um and again but i mean we've had this conversation before as it relates to like sean king's timeline just being full of niggas getting their ass beat and i was just like i understand like the mentality behind why people share these it's like because they think and i think this is a very liberal understanding of like political change that like every problem only exists because of a lack of information of a very specific shallow type like people just don't know uh the death toll that's happening at the rio grande people just don't know that niggas again they asked me by the police but that's not the case it's like people do know but the people who like at first of all everyone knows like you can't convince me that people don't know that but what it is it's like it's like it's the it's the situation that we have with people online who come at me with the nazi and like and they're like well what if you what if people were targeting you like people are targeting me uh i got i'm not gonna be his i'm not gonna be histrionic around about it people are targeting me uh that's just that's just the reality of it it's like like they have erased the i they, they just erased it from their minds it's like they're like there is that false consciousness that exists in people's head where it's like oh I see these images, I understand this violence exists, but I've normalized it, I've naturalized it, I've, insti- you know, partially because it's institutional, or like rather it's these people are lawbreakers, whatever, and like, but it doesn't necessarily affect my life. And in some ways my life is predicated on it happening, or rather my comfort is. And so I've, I just, I normalize it and it just it goes in one ear out the other ear. And so like, it's, this is not, an, this is like the issues we have in our country are not issues about lacks of information. Like there are issues of like, you know, and you can look to like the past where similar images have been associated with political change, but the part that, you know, whether it's like the image of like the, the, the people, the naked little girl running in Vietnam, um, uh, it's like the problem or like Emmett Till or like, you know, or Rodney King or whatever, the problem that we're lacking right now is we don't have a strong mass movement politic, political culture anymore. It's like, and in some ways that's been stripped from us, right? As a result of neoliberal politics, where it's like, okay, you don't need mass movement politics. You just need awareness campaigns. You just have to rate, if you just raise enough awareness, uh, politicians will eventually have enough empathy for you, uh, 
socially valuable populations will simply will eventually have enough empathy for you that you'll write enough op-eds about it you'll, you'll share enough pictures of it and then like things will just change and it's like no that has never been the case in the history of the world it's always been a result of like enough people taking to the streets to change shit and not, and not just like you know bastardized versions of Martin Luther King Jr. which also make people sort of erase the reality the, the potentiality for violence that existed in the past but like mass people taking to the streets of for it and like the idea of mass people people taking to the streets or rather the reality of mass people taking to the streets always emphasize a potentiality for violence either in the the form of riots or some sort of other uprising like it's like it's never been like oh people are taking to the streets to raise awareness for about climate change it's like oh no people are taking to the streets to raise awareness about their lack of jobs and if shit don't change we might start burning things yeah it's that if shit don't change we might start burning things that actually motivates any action and it's like you would think from hearing neoliberal retellings of uh, history you know civil rights was won by martin luther king jr's oratory and, and uh, you know the some very uh, strongly worded letters and calls to congress people about the violence that black people were facing in, in their communities it's like no it, it was a bunch of black people started taking to the streets and they literally worried especially after uh, the assassination of mlk that it was the, the country was going to catch on fire and so they were yeah, like the, assass- the assassination of mlk the, the various black organizations during the 60s and 70s and 80s that were ostensibly about violent revolution <laughs> it's just like you know it's hard not to put those even when it comes to like the civil war and like mm-hmm. and you know like nat turner's rebellion john brown uh the violent slave revolt of haiti these were all in the backdrop of people's minds when it came to like the you know, acquisition of rights for people, the Stonewall riots, right? It's like, you know, the history of marginalized people gaining rights has never been about politely asking for them or raising awareness of it through like, you know, fucking pamphlet handouts or op-eds. It's always been about like, oh, we like we marched, we told you once with, with a march, we told you twice with a march, now we're rioting. It's like it's like, mm-hmm. now, like now we're burning shit. But like what has happened is that people have been stripped of their righteous anger through a variety of means and have been like in a large part of our society, especially the liberal section, believe that change can occur simply through voting. And like and you and like you have people who rightly criticize those you know whether it be you know not necessarily right criticize AOC but like point out that a lot of the modern like leftist groups out there exist simply to funnel people into the Democratic Party and try to change it from the inside and a lot less people are interested are interested in like starting like mass movement politics a la Bernie Sanders right who's like, who's like it's not you know if he's not like helming a mass movement politics he's he understands the value of it as as a literal activist from the seventies. Yeah, just to go back a bit to one of your points is like I think the normalization of violence against people of color and marginalized communities in general is a lot of those people just see all of that as the cracked eggs of the American omelet, you know, like just the the cost of doing business, you know, unfortunate realities uh, uh, circumscribed by human nature so that, you know, the, the ethnic cleansing or genocide of the Palestinian people from Israel is just, you know, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances that we're powerless to do, do anything about. Never mind that, you know, we're sponsoring and funding the the people that are do, committing the violence uh, at you know horrific levels and it it, car- it carries over to basically whether it's foreign policy or domestic you know it's 
well, you know, we need these police uh, cracking these skulls. Otherwise, you know, society will get out of control. And, and you know, that, that's so we can't get rid of the police. We just have to try to get them to crack less skulls. So maybe if we put cameras on them, but then they just turn them off. And, and then maybe if we, you know, hold them accountable and then they get let off. It's like it, well, yeah, that was that was part of the camera. That was, that was part mm-hmm. of the camera thing, too. Like, like if, the, if the police have cameras, then like we'll have all the information we need about police brutality. It's like, no, 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 we don't need any more information. We yeah. need accountability. And exactly. those two things aren't necessarily intrinsically linked. But sorry to interrupt you, please go ahead. Oh, yeah. And it was just the other thing I was going to say is that neoliberals in general are just unequipped to deal with uh, the, the far right because they refuse to accept that they're not tethered to reality, science, or statistics, or any of that. And essentially what rather than uh, kind of ground their their beliefs in ideals and values and principles, they've chosen to just simply abandon any semblance of those and join the far right in a, a reality-free kind of navigation of the political sphere. So that's how well, you can erase mass movements from uh, change and, and focus on the process. And you can, you know, ignore that uh, Joe Biden is so far your likely uh, nominee for the party, despite his long history of uh, races, overt racism, and uh, not to mention his, uh, you know, what he's responsible for throughout his whole political career. And it's like you just uh, it, it become liberals then or neoliberals are finding themselves, I think, in this moment, uh, just like realizing that many of the critiques that they lobbed at the far right for their refusal to deal with the world as it is versus the world as they imagine it is is uh encapsulated in the the primary process and what like they know that if joe biden wins the nomination that they are going to vote for him and expect other people to vote for him knowing full well that that's people voting against their interests just uh, uh, against somebody that's well, even more against their interests and, and that that will never lead us anywhere and it's exactly the path to the right that a lot of people that opposed hillary said that we were on well joe biden is going to try to run to is going to try to run to trump's right on like on being hawkish on bring on like on bringing back the individual mandate for uh for obamacare on all these shit all this shit that didn't work and no one likes and then uh trump is going to do it if he runs against joe biden going to do the exact same thing that he managed to do when it came to hillary clinton which is like somehow muddy the water about like the differences between them right about like how like about like oh well maybe he'll be to the left of joe biden on certain things maybe he'll be to the far to the right of joe biden other things joe biden has a long history of being a fucking racist you know like explicitly racist there are a lot of clips out there of joe biden being racist they're you know not to be not to be rude but one of their like their main weapons against donald trump is the fact that he is a fucking rapist it's like donald, like donald trump is like a very you know donald trump has more rape allegations than fucking than i i don't well than a lot of people than most people i would argue like maybe not more than fucking uh bill uh bill cosby but he's up there you know right and so, like, not to mention the, the Jeffrey Epstein shit that's that's gonna that's about to pop off in a few days. And so, yeah, like, and just quickly pick, on that, the SDNY is run by a Trump appointee, and then the person that runs the corruption division came out of uh, Deutsche Bank, which is like notorious for laundering mob money and all sorts of other criminal behavior. So it's like the idea that they're gonna hold Trump accountable is, is stupid. If anybody, it's gonna be against Clinton. Well, I think part of it goes it like kind of plays into what we've been talking about in general with the kind of all the topic topics and just that they. There's been kind of a, an adoption or uh, corruption, however you want to phrase it, essentially of like a, a hyper or a valuing 
of a hyper personalization of you know individual stories and what that means to systemic issues and so we see it with the you know bougie black people in the media you know saying well my black experience must be like everybody else's black experience because i'm black it doesn't matter if i'm in a separate class than the vast majority of people that share that segment of my identity and so it's like these uh, segment pieces of identity. So I'm impoverished. So now I share the the identity of all impoverished people without the distinctions of race or uh, you know a geographical location. In the case of uh, asylum seekers and such, it's like the it, it's a very superficial kind of uh, and I see it reflected in general in leftism in the U.S. in general when it comes to foreign policy and such. It's just kind of a very well you know this is what it's like for me. So this is what it's like for everybody and these are my problems and these are everybody's problems like the that works when you're talking about the most marginalized people in society because the most marginalized people in society face not only the 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 oppression directed specifically at their target population but also much of the popular much of the uh, oppression that's targeted at just uh, uh, marginalized people in general. And so in a lot of ways that happens, but where that starts to fall apart a lot of ways is in, for instance, uh, with uh, uh, white women that voted uh, majority for Trump, uh, with uh, white members of the LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ community, and elsewhere, like we saw with the, the famous, uh, if uh, Hillary was president, we'd be at brunch right now kind of sign. Is this, this kind of, uh, those other problems that that are up for the people of color is just something that America is just a part of our fabric, which we can't really get rid of. But this whole marginalization and oppression of middle class white people, that's new. That's something that we can actually we can solve and we can fix. And we fix that by uh, essentially, but which uh, liberals don't like to admit by finding a new group of marginalized people to oppress and to extract that wealth and resources from. Well, centrists are openly hostile to mass political movements, point blank. It's like, and, like, and I think that when we talk about, like, you know, a lot of times people in the media, they talk about the, the equation that, that centrists seem to do. I, I think I just, uh, interchangeably use centrist and liberal there, but which is not what I meant to do. But I, I see centrist and, you know, which encompasses liberals are openly hostile to math movement politics. Uh, they're, they're, they're openly hostile to, to supra into elect into uh, supra or super election, uh, electoral politics. They like, they mm-hmm. want everything to be engaged with institutions because largely speaking, like that's their status quo benefits them. And you can see it in the way they engage with, uh, critiques of the far left and the far right. They equate both of them as the same because both of them, you know, more or less, even though the far right can, is usually more astroturf, like at least they, they index mass movement politics. They index populism. Well, right? and, you know, and the institutions act to maintain and protect the, their interests and that recognition of the, the, that the institutions and the status quo necessity to maintain those things is something that they, they struggle to grasp, grapple with. And their only explanation really is that well, you can only have change through institution when, or through institutions when the reality is it is mass movements. But the problem with mass movements is that you can't both change, make, make the change and secure the status quo at the same time. And that, that's why the value of institutions is so important to them is that it, it allows them is like, okay, well, we can, we can stop 
slavery, but we don't have to stop the the liberal uh, pr- uh, profiteering from the oppressing conditions of slavery. Well, of course, but I mean, at the same time, it's like you, you when you like, when you had the people arguing for uh, rather when you had like the, it come out, you like which I think that everyone like again the idea of like information and like outrage, but the information and outrage in some the rather the outrage that is spurred or like catalyzed by like an influx of incredibly you know terrible information like hey here's a doj lawyer arguing against the need for shampoo it's like it's very it's very fickle but like you have people come out and say well she's just doing her job right like she's just mm-hmm. doing her job like you know and again that's like that's like that kind of logic of like she's just doing her job like it, it's it, it's it's obviously very very thin when it comes to like you see you watch this like this chick arguing for why like children don't need toothbrushes and shampoo why that would be like if when they're like you know again in like uh in uh, incredibly unsanitary conditions already uh like but like that the underlying logic of like we can legitimize uh violence or we can uh obscure or race violence as being legit being actual violence just simply by like uh you know laundering it through institutions and through bureaucracy and through like procedure whether it be voting or like uh, congress or the police uh it's something that is actually quite legible to like the centrist liberal class it's like you know and as even in even more like the idea that like the particular actors within those systems deserve to be uh deserve to be um immunized from that kind of from that kind of from like implication either moral or legal legal ramifications or like moral legal social ramifications of being part of institutions is also legible to them you know the same people who like we talk about accountability all the time on the show but same people who are like who are aghast that there being such a lack of accountability for like the trump administration and their figures are entirely like they were more or less like mum about the lack of accountability for the variety of you know, Bush fig- figures when it came to torture, you know, for the banksters when it came to like actively defrauding American people and like collapsing the economy and basically ruining many people's lives. It's like they weren't really necessarily in favor of accountability back then, but now they're in favor of it now. And they can't seem to understand how the American people, at least broadly, you know, broadly speaking, are not like or rather they they seem to think because I'm, I'm thinking about the nancy pelosi interview where she's like how do i explain to inner city youth that like the trump administration is unaccountable to the american people I'm like well the thing about the inner city youth like people who are just like poor and like downtrodden people who are like us right it's like or like the working class whether they be white black or you know purple uh, uh is that like they they exist at a level of accountability that is so far removed from the accountability of like people in elite positions that they don't necessarily see Trump as being, at least I would argue, I don't necessarily see Trump as being so uniquely unaccountable or rather uniquely unaccountable in relationship to like the Obama administration or like the Democratic Party or, or like any number of senators or, or the Bush administration. Like, I think that the proximity between like the lack of accountability between like Trump and like the, the rest of the political media uh, complex and like everybody else is so like, or rather the the uh, the proximity between like Trump and the rest of like the conjoined political media uh, complex, you know, the Democrats, Republicans, like the you know MSNBC and CNN, Fox News, the people who like cheerleaded the Iraq War, is much smaller than the proximity between like literally everyone else and them. 
Yeah, I mean, or just a, a handful of the wrong, wealthy, connected, powerful ones, and then, then, then something changes. But then again, it's just for the communities that then uh, were Yeah, but I mean, that would, that, that, would, that, would, that would become a battle of, of narratives, right? I think that's like, that's like that's the part where, you know, it becomes like the framing, where it's like, you know, there are these situations where like, you know, where whiteness is not enough. To insulate you from the other systems that exist out there. It's like, I, re- just, I, saw, or I was just going to say, I saw Republicans like, you know, like, oh, God, what about the Fourth Amendment of Paul Manafort? It's just like, what? <laughs> like, who who hears Paul Manafort's Fourth Amendment is violated because his house was raided by by armed guards? Like, who hears that? And is like, oh, yeah, you know what? These is like that's that's what got uh, ironically. That's what got some Republicans to be like, oh, you know, this this hyper militarized police force. Maybe maybe has some problem. Maybe problematic. It's like, but as soon as well, I mean, that was, leaves the headlines, I forget about well, it. Again. Well, I mean, that was the thing with the tanks as part of, as part of Trump's parade. People were like, "Do I really want tanks down marching down the streets of DC?" I was like, "Tanks already march down the, the streets of DC." Like, have you ever seen the APCs that the police use? It's like those shits is tanks. <laughs> it's just like you know, like. But again, this is about perception and like things that occur within their not even within their proximity but like things that sort of like trigger their atrophied sense of like things are not okay anymore but like the police like you know like tanks weapons of war like weapons of military like uh have been like military grade weapons rather have been being mobilized on american soil for at least like 20 years right because this is what happens when the military industrial complex and like and why like that false divide between domestic and foreign policy is so is so fucking stupid is because like the police departments just buy those apcs and they use them to put down like you know quote unquote riot it's like you know police police were bringing fucking apcs to occupy wall street they were bringing apcs and like fucking military grid weapons to fucking the ferguson protest they were like they, they do that all the time and the centrists like, don't even see their embrace of uh, fascism when confronted with those things it's like oh well of course we should use we should put people's lives in danger with you know less than lethal or lethal weaponry uh to put to protect this property that they're damaging like wait what <laughs> like so so it's totally okay to you know shoot somebody's eye out with tear gas or, or a rubber bullet to protect a, a fucking Walgreens? Like, what? <laughs> what in that Walgreens is more valuable than that person's eye? Well, Our life. <laughs> I think I think that we're going to have to call it uh, there for the day because we're, we've been, we're going to run on two hours. Yep. So any last thoughts from the people? I'll just say uh, uh, Gig uh, went ahead and I, I think he's going to take over uh, the, the, the black demographic because he spoke at Essence Fest. So that, sh- that should lock it in for him. Is Essence still a thing? Apparently. <laughs> I, I, I did not realize that. He used to speak at Vibe Fest. Right. <laughs> and Buttigieg, they're going to give Buttigieg a fucking like, column in Ebony Magazine. Maybe he should, maybe he should probably do a song with Lil Nas X. That'd be great. Yeah, if he does, you heard it here first. <laughs> little Little Nas X, Buddha Geek, and fucking Genuine should come up with a remix to Pony. Huh? <laughs>